What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Martinez. Just one day after Christmas, December 26th, 2019. And it truly does feel like the day after Christmas. I don't know. I'm not, uh, I don't have the highest level of energy today, if I'm being quite honest with you. This was supposed to be, well, first, I just want to say, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoyed your day yesterday with your friends, your family, whoever it may have been. And if you didn't celebrate Christmas, well, then I hope you just had a wonderful Wednesday. I hope you had a great day, despite the fact that you didn't participate in Christmas. That's okay. We all have our own beliefs, our own opinions. But nevertheless, I hope you had a great day. And now on to today, to Thursday. It's not a great day. It's a pretty slow day for me. I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm I'm kind of on the lower, the, the slower side. I can't even come up with an analogy for like how lazy I feel today. Woke up today and I have forgotten that I am the host, writer, producer, director, founder of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I forgot we were doing a show today. I'm going to be quite honest with you, which is funny because today was supposed to be, or not supposed to be, today is the most anticipated Crowd Noise episode in a long, long time, maybe ever. For me personally, because we have the playoff coming up this Saturday. We have Week 17 football in the NFL, which actually that's not that exciting. But the crown jewel, because today's the last episode of the year and therefore the decade, is our top 10 moments in sports over the past 10 years. And I completely forgot about the whole thing. I was supposed to go throughout the week and conjure up a top 10 list like a watch mojo and I did exactly zero over the course of this entire week it was it was a Christmas vacation week I was distracted I was having fun I was enjoying myself I was the last thing on my mind was the crowd noise podcast and that may or may not reflect itself in today's episode uh I'm not sure how today's going to shape up it may be the best it still may be one of the better episodes of the year maybe of all time it may be one of the worst ones of all time. So quality control right now is kind of going haywire. I can't really speak to how great today is going to be as far as the Crowd Noise podcast. But nevertheless, we're going to take a stab at it and try to have some fun in the process. So without further ado, I made this thing like in 10 minutes, about 10 minutes ago. Like I, as soon as I was done, I had to run in to our multi-million dollar recording studio and, and just get started. So I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I think I like my top 10. There may or may not be things left out. Again, don't kill me for this or kill me. I don't care. Do whatever you want. But if there's something on here that I blatantly missed, and I'm sure I did, I sincerely apologize because again, I made this completely out of the blue. I, 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 didn't, I didn't put nearly as much time as I should have into this. But again, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, not, I'm never going to lie to you. But before we do that top 10, the top 10, that's, that's coming. We're going to do that later on in the show. That's supposed to be our, our big finale for the year. You think I'm going to do that at the very top of the show? No way. First, we're going to do Week 17 NFL football because nobody cares about Week 17 NFL football unless you're a Dallas Cowboys fan because that's about the only team that's still realistically alive on week 17 there are a few teams that can still get in on week 17 but there are those scenarios where you need half of the league um to lose and then the other half to tie and then the teams that do win they have to win by a point differential of two and a half points so it's like the cowboys have the most realistic shot to get in still 
Uh, amongst the teams that need help, the Cowboys have the best chance. And I don't know. I still don't know if they're going to get in. So we're going to do Week 17 first. Get that out of the way. Then we have our New Year's Six games picks, which aren't even on New Year's Eve or day, but that's what they call them. So that's what we're going to call them. And then we will have our top 10 list. Sound good? Great. Here we go. Last week, we had a pretty sorry week in the NFL. We went one and two. We had the Bills over the Patriots, and that one looked good uh, for a while. And then the Patriots went Patriots in New England. They're able to hang uh, hang on and take care of business in Foxborough. Uh, then we had the Vikings over the Packers. The Packers win that one. They win the NFC North. The Vikings are still a playoff team, but we'll have to go on the road rather than host someone in their beautiful dome. I, I Minnesota Stadium is just like the most interesting to look at from the outside. Like structurally, it's probably the most interesting. Obviously, I've never been in there, but from I don't know. I'm gonna say from what I've heard, but I not like I talk to Vikings fans on the regular, but. You know, I assume that one's probably one of the nicer stadiums in the NFL. I'd love to go visit um, the Viking Stadium one day in my life. During during September, though, even though it's in a dome, I don't want to be in Minnesota during November, December, January. No, no way. Even if the game is in the dome, I'm gonna have to sleep there uh, until spring comes around because I, I don't I don't function well in the cold, especially in Minnesota. Not doing it. And then finally, we had our last game. Cowboys and Eagles, we had the Eagles winning at home, and they did exactly that. They just dominated all phases of the game. The Cowboys looked like they wanted to be anywhere else on the earth other than Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, The Eagles now take control of the NFC East and can clinch the division with a win or a tie against the New York football Giants. And that brings us to our first pick of this week, the Eagles and the Giants. The Giants have absolutely nothing to play with, and at this point, I don't know if they're better or worse with Daniel Jones uh, at the helm because they did win a game with Eli Manning, but then Daniel Jones comes back and he lo- turns in, excuse me, <clears throat> turns in, in the second coming of Dan Marino, throws for 355 touchdowns. It was against Washington, but still, that's that's incredibly hard to do. I don't care who you're playing, 355 touchdowns or not 350, yeah, 350. Sorry. 350 yards, five touchdowns against Washington. They get a win last week. I do think the Eagles, they have everything to play for. The Giants could potentially play spoiler. They could they could play that card and say, like as motivation for their last game, there's no incentive for them winning this game. And the Eagles have everything to play for. They cannot afford to lose because Dallas plays Washington. And even though that game is almost a toss-up at this point, I do think Dallas will take care of business against Washington. So the Eagles have to win this game they have absolutely no choice but to win they are playing for their season I think they will win I think the Eagles will win the division and they will get into the playoffs and they will have the luxury of losing to the 49ers in the first round Uh, and secondly we have another team that's on the bubble the Oakland Raiders or should I say the Las Vegas Raiders depending on what happens on Sunday the season could end Uh, the season ends they're they're the Las Vegas Raiders if they win they're still the Oakland Raiders for the time being. They need a lot of help. The the Raiders need a lot of help to get in. But first and foremost, you got to win on Sunday. Will they do that? I think they will. Look, John Gruden has done as much as I as I've made fun of the Raiders and, and as as much as I've torn them to shreds over the course of the summer and, and the season. They're a good football team. They're a respectable team. They've won games and they're still even at this point alive in the playoff hunt. Do I think they'll get in? No, not necessarily because a lot of dominoes need to fall ahead of them 
But I do think the Raiders will take care of business against the Denver Broncos, who have zero to play with, play for, excuse me, and play with. Their team's just lousy. So I don't, I don't think the Raiders uh, should have too much trouble. The game is in Denver, though. Um, I don't think that'll factor in much. I just want to let you know where that game's located, just in case you wanted to go see that game live. Um, and then finally, this is actually a really good game. No playoff berth on the line here, but there is a major seeding implications on the line with this game. San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. This game is in Seattle. In case you want to go watch the game live, you can go uh, to NFL.com or, or StubHub or wherever your your tickets are sold. Um, this is gonna, this is probably going to be the game of the year, and it's only ironic that it's the last game. It's it's Sunday night. Like this is the perfect bookend for the regular season. Uh, the 49ers and Seahawks, two Super Bowl contenders, fighting for the division, and the loser will have to go on the road and play the NFC East champion. We assume it's going to be the Eagles, but I'm just going to say NFC East champion because anything can happen. But for, for all intents and purposes, it's going to be in Philadelphia, which is a very tough p- place to play. And the Eagles are a big game team. I said it last week. That's why I picked the Eagles to beat the Cowboys because they know how to win these big games. That's a tough matchup uh, going on the road to Philly, even though they're banged up and they're not as great as they were during their Super Bowl year, obviously, or even last year, they're a very tough team uh, at home. Who do I think will win 49, between the 49ers and the Seahawks? This is, a, this is a true toss-up game. The first game that they played was in San Francisco, or Santa Clara, rather. Uh, and that one goes into overtime. Uh, Seahawks get bailed out by a missed field goal. Am I remembering that correctly? And then they're able to come back and and win that game. Russell Wilson was dynamic in that overtime quarter. Uh, I like the Seahawks again because I've said it over and over again about the 49ers. I still have, I'm still not sold on Jimmy Garoppolo. And he has been, over the past three, four weeks, I want to say, he has been dynamic. He has been playing at the level that uh, would probably get me to, to buy into Jimmy Garoppolo. And yet it hasn't been done enough. He hasn't done it as many times as Russell Wilson has. Russell Wilson is a he's a bona fide superstar. And they are playing this game at home. Beast Mode is back. Marshawn Lynch uh, is reunited with the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know what kind of an impact he's going to make on that game. He's going to get the ball 20 times. Because their top two starting running backs in Seattle are both done for this season. So Marshawn Lynch is the guy. This isn't just some farewell tour reunion like they need Marshawn Lynch to run the football they need him to carry that pill so they will rely on beast mode for this game but I think Russell Wilson will be the difference in this game I like Seattle to win the division and win this game on Sunday night so there are your week 17 picks and your last regular season picks of the year until we get into the playoffs Um, and we did finish this year not finish but our record to this point 26 and 22. We went one and two last week, but we had built enough uh, cushion. We had built enough breathing room to the point now. If we go 0 and 3 this week, we still finish with a winning record. So we have clinched an above 500 record picking games in both college football and in the NFL. I mean, you, you got to love that. And they call me the psychic. So we will see if we build on that winning percentage or we just close the gap. Either way, we're going to finish with more wins than losses over, uh, on the season. So that is 
fantastic. Cannot get mad at that. Having a winning record, that is uh, no small feat. So now on to college football. We did not have our picks last week because there were no games, obviously. And I think the bowl season was just starting like on Friday or maybe it started that Thursday night. We're not picking the... I don't. Even, I couldn't even come up with a name because I mean you know these these crazy bowl game names like the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. The I think one of them is literally like the Friendship Bowl or the Kindness Bowl. Like there's just we're not we're not wasting your time. We pick the big games here. All right, this is a a proven commodity. We only pick the the powerhouses, the blue bloods around here. We're not we're not picking between North Carolina A and T and and Missouri Valley Dance and Technical School. No, we're picking the New Year's Six Bowl. These are the big-time games, all right? Welcome to the show. Um, so we're going to start this week. And can I, I just have like a certain... I didn't have an episode, obviously, on, on uh, Tuesday, which was the Festivus, an airing of grievances. And I tend to air my grievances on the show every week regardless. But now I'm going to do it and feel a little bit less bad about it because I'm going to come up with an excuse. This is my... Festivus airing of grievances, one of just one of the hundreds of billions that I have. Why are we calling it the New Year's Six Bowl? Or actually, I get why we're calling it the New Year's Six. I love it. Why are the New Year's Six games not on New Year's Eve or day? When we started the playoff, it was three games on New Year's Eve and three games on New Year's Day. You had two, I guess the, the New Year's Six games were in the morning and then afternoon. Then you had the playoff game at night. And then on New Year's Day, it was the exact same thing. You had the Rose Bowl and then whatever other bowl game that they had. And then you had the second playoff game. And for the most part, people are going to watch because it's New Year's Eve and day. It's a holiday. So I get why they want to. I, I, I see their logic in, well, we want to keep it on a Saturday so we can get more viewers. Well, my argument to that is the national championship games on like a Tuesday night. So they're, that, that's hypocritical of them to say, well, we don't want it on New Year's Eve because it's during the week and during the day we want people to watch. But the national championship, though, that's just on a Tuesday night at three in the afternoon. So it's hypocritical. So that argument is void. You can't, you can't use that. Because last year's national championship, I believe, was on a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. It was during the week for sure. I can guarantee it was during the week. And at least New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, they're holidays. They're national holidays. They're not in 4th of July, Christmas, Thanksgiving, everyone is off. But for the most part, people are available. It's not just any random day of the week. Let's get, can we get back to the New Year's Six games being on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, please? I, I loved it. It was just so much fun having six games in two days. And we got away from that. This year, only two games of the six are on, on New Year's, and they're both on New Year's Day. So no games on New Year's Eve. You have... What is that, 33%? Only a third of the New Year's Six games are even on New Year's? Whatever. We're going to pick the games regardless, but that's just my, my grievance. We got to fix that. We got to go back to the New Year's Six being, make New Year's Six New Year's again. That's going to be my slogan heading into 2020. So first off, this Saturday, that's where the bulk of the games are um, on this, this Saturday, December the 28th. Mark your calendars and clear your schedules because you don't want to miss these, two, these three games. Well, two games. There are three games on. You don't want to miss two of them. The first game is the Cotton Bowl. I literally could not care any less about this game. Number 17, Memphis, against number 10, Penn State. Penn State's going to win. There's your analysis. You're not watching it. Nobody cares. 
onto the games that people actually care about. And this bothers me as well. We have the two playoff games both on the same day. That's not really where I have an issue with it. What I have an issue with is that you put the playoff games first and then you have three bowl games after that. That just spoils the entire fun. It doesn't ruin it. I'm still going to watch and I'm going to watch the Rose Bowl. I'm going to watch the Sugar Bowl. It's not going to destroy it, but it takes some of the fun out of it. Okay, we just had Christmas yesterday. What if, what if whoever got you, what if whoever, sorry, kind of tongue, got tongue-tied there a little bit. Whoever got you a present, whoever it may have been, if they're in your head, you're thinking about them, you're thinking about what they got yesterday. What if they told you a week before Christmas? So what would that have been? Just a week before Christmas. Hey, I got you a new pair of shoes. Whatever they got you, I don't, I don't know. I, didn't, I wasn't at your house for Christmas. Um, whatever they got you, they told you, hey, I got you this, but I'm still going to wrap it and put it under the tree. And you, ha- you can't open it until Christmas Day, but here's what you got. That's essentially what the college football playoff committee, whoever's in charge of scheduling these things, that's essentially what they've done. The playoff games should be the last two games. Why are we playing the two playoff games and then we're having three more games after that just because we got to fix the New Year's Six schedule, please. But nevertheless, we have the Peach Bowl on Saturday, LSU, Oklahoma. I know I'm, I sound pretty dreary and kind of down on these games. I am so excited. I, I know I'm kind of frustrated with the scheduling, but the games are true. I, I cannot wait to watch these football games. They're gonna, both gonna, I think both of them are going to be primetime, I mean, blockbusters. I don't think either of these games has any kind of potential to be boring or be blowouts. I think both of these games are going to be fantastic to watch. Because uh, I like the I like the matchups stylistically between all four teams. You get LSU, you get Oklahoma, both high flying offenses. Not a lot of defense is going to be played. Um, it's just going to be a lot of scoring, a lot of touchdowns, and a lot of fun. Not that LSU cannot play defense, but to this point, they have not shown the ability to play. Um, you know, lockdown Ohio State Clemson defense, but they can score with anyone. I think they're the highest scoring team in the country are the Bayou Bengals. And then you get Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, Big 12. I mean, obviously they can score. They took care of business. They were able to um, bounce back from losing to Kansas State and get into the playoff. And so they're here. I think this game's going to be a a very fun, fast-paced game. This is the game that you want your casual uncle to be around for because it's just going to be touchdowns left and right. This is the game that you bring your girlfriend to. Okay, you could tell her, you trick her into watching the game, it's this one because there's going to be scoring nonstop. I like LSU to win this game. I love Joe Burrow. I love Coach O. I mean, Joe Burrow has been the story. He's been the man this whole season. He's, he's captivated the college football landscape. And maybe I'm kind of blowing him up a little bit, but I, I did not attend LSU, so don't, don't get it twisted. But Joe Burrow has been phenomenal. He's been a superstar as well as the entire team. They've beaten everybody. They've beaten everybody. And I can't even definitively say that Oklahoma is the best team outside of the top three. Like, outside of the top three, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, the you know the who's in debate, I can't even say definitively they're better than Oregon, they're better than Wisconsin. But, I mean, to their credit, they took care of business. They only have one loss. So they deserve to get in. They do. But if you had Oklahoma play Oregon or play Wisconsin or play Penn State, whoever you want, a Georgia, I don't know if they beat those teams. 
all those teams didn't take care of business, so they didn't deserve to get in. Oklahoma deserves its spot in there, but I don't know if you can say they would be a, a one-loss team if they had Georgia's schedule or Oregon's schedule, or if they had Oregon's schedule, they'd be undefeated. But um, you get the point I'm trying to make. If they played those other teams, I don't know necessarily if they would beat any of them. I don't think they're going to beat LSU. I think Joe Burrow makes enough plays um, with his feet and with his arm. He's a superstar. And this is what college football needs. We need our stars on the biggest stage. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He's the biggest name in college football this year. Some people feel like he could be potentially the number one pick in the draft, barring what Chase Young decides he wants to do with his future. Joe Burrow needs to be in the national title game. I think that's what we're going to get. LSU beats uh, Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl this Saturday. It'd be the third straight loss for Oklahoma in the semifinals against an SEC team. So that would, that's going to start a little bit of a discussion about Oklahoma playing teams um, in the Southeastern Conference. Now, the second semifinal game, the Fiesta Bowl. In this game, you got to kick your girlfriend out. Whatever you're going to do, do it during the Peach or Yeah, the Peach Bowl, you know, that's, that's your business. Then after that, you got to ship her off because this is going to be the game. I think this will be a much more interesting game because th- these two teams play defense which is going to be a nice palate cleanser because the LSU-Oklahoma game is going to be 52-48. It's going to be something ridiculous. This game is going to be 21-17, 23-20, 21-20. This game is going to be absolutely nuts. I guarantee it. I cannot wait to watch this game. This is going to be the best game, I think, of the playoff. Well, the semifinal. The best game out of two with a hot take alert. But um, you do get Ohio State and Clemson. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. What more could you possibly want? This is going to be the game. This I, I, I can't wait to watch this game on Saturday, December the 12th. It is the Fiesta Bowl. I do like Ohio State in this game. I know not enough people, not enough people are giving Clemson any credit and giving them any respect. And I guess I'm not either because I'm picking Ohio State to win. But Clemson is for real. They deserve to be in there. Yes, they're undefeated because they have an easy schedule, but they're undefeated because I do think they would have beaten just about anyone you could have put on the field against them. Clemson is legit. Ohio State's just a little bit better. Ohio State's been a little bit better than just about every team outside of LSU this season, definitively. They have been dynamic. They have destroyed everyone in their wake, and they play... They play in the gritty, nasty Big Ten. No one gives the Big Ten enough credit for being as good as they are. Clemson, it's not their fault that the SEC sucks. It, it's just, they do. The SEC is terrible. It's not on Clemson's. Clemson's holding up their end of the deal. The rest of the ACC needs to take care of business. That's not Clemson's fault. But they also didn't play anybody, okay? They play Texas A&M, who's okay. Maybe they're a little bit overrated because they play in the SEC, Texas A&M is just fine, and that was probably the best win Clemson had all season long. I like Ohio State to win. I just think, I think that defense is going to be able to not shut down, but suppress Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. I think they will do enough to give Justin Fields some breathing room and then have an opportunity to waste away um, a few possessions in the fourth quarter, kind of milk the clock a little bit. I think Ohio State's defense, and that's going to be the main key in this game for both sides. And I said this will be closer to a defensive battle, definitely uh, more so than, than the first game, the Peach Bowl. This will, be, uh, this will have much more defense 
and I think that's going to be the key. Ohio State will get one to two big stops in the third quarter, maybe in a drive closing out the first half. Maybe Clemson's knocking on the door of the touchdown. They hold them to a field goal. Whatever the case may be, I think Ohio State's defense will make enough plays to send them to the national title game. Now on to the other three games where we have, you know, it's a little bit disappointing they're coming after the playoff. We're not going to pick our national champion just yet. We're going to save that until next Thursday. I know I'm kind of a little bit of a coward not really picking. You know what? We'll pick. We'll do it. We'll do the national title. We'll save that for last, but we will pick our national title contender because I don't want you guys complaining when I pick the whole thing right and then I don't put it out there. So uh, we'll, we'll do that right now. Orange Bowl. That is December the 30th. What day is that? Let me check my calendar really quick. Saturday is, that's a Monday. Okay, so now I'm really furious. No longer can you say we have the, the playoff games on Saturday because we want people to watch it. Well, you have the Orange Bowl on a Monday, New Year's Eve, nothing, and then New Year's Day, you have the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. We need to fix the New Year's Six games, okay? I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. Let's get back to the New Year's Six being on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of it because the national championship, that's on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So don't tell me that it's because of viewership, because if that was true, the national championship would be on Saturday at like 6, 7 o'clock. Everyone will be able to watch that game. So, so quit trying to tell me it's about the viewers. Anyway, Orange Bowl, Florida, Virginia, Florida. I mean, that, this game I also don't care about because, I mean, similarly to the Cotton Bowl, the, the talent discrepancy here is just ridiculous. I mean, do any of you really honestly believe Virginia has any kind of chance to hang around in the first half with the Florida Gators. Florida's going to win this game by 10,000 onto the Rose Bowl. Actually, we're going to save that one for last. The Sugar Bowl, Georgia and Baylor. Very These last two games, the New Year's Day games, are phenomenal. These games are like the two, like if we were to expand to the, the 18 playoff or whatever, these two games would be must-watch. Well, they all be must-watch because they're in the playoff, but... These games are just on another another level because um, they're just they're so closely uh, competitive. These these two um, these two games. Number five Georgia against number seven Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. Second year in a row the Georgia Bulldogs gets sent kicked out of the playoffs and have to go to the Sugar Bowl. Last year they were dominated and embarrassed by Texas and it started the Texas is back phenomenon. Um, I was one of the victims who bought into that nonsense and Texas is actually terrible. But nevertheless, they did dominate Georgia last year. And Georgia, I'm sure, has some pretty fond memories of last year's Sugar Bowl. I do like Georgia in this game because I do think they will be a little bit too physically imposing for Baylor. And again, they were embarrassed on national television last year uh, by Texas. Uh, They're not going to let that happen to Baylor. Okay, Georgia will come to play. Matt Rule, his future at Baylor is now up in the air because we will see if he goes to either the NFL or perhaps another job across in uh, college football. Another another head coaching job in college football. We will see where he lands. And then finally, I think this is the best, the best non-playoff bowl game. Like, of course, the playoff games, of course those are going to be spectacular. We're all going to watch them. But if there's one game, if you're not really into bowl season, but you like college football, if there's one game you're going to watch outside of the playoff, this is the one, the Rose Bowl, New Year's Day, number six, Oregon against number eight, Wisconsin. This game is going to be phenomenal. I love this game, ironically, or I mean, I guess conversely to the playoff, 
where you have two teams or four teams that all match each other, like LSU, Oklahoma, they both score. That should be fun. Ohio State, Clemson, they both can play really gritty defense. That should be fun. These two teams are like polar opposites of each other. Wisconsin is physical, defensive, ball control, offense. I mean, just as slow as they possibly can go. And then Oregon is Oregon. They're going to try and score 70 points in the first quarter in this game, and they have the quarterback to do it with Justin Herbert. He will be in the NFL draft next year. Um, They're loaded with athletes all over the field. Wisconsin has a superstar in Jonathan Taylor. This game is a must-watch. If you're going to watch one game outside of the playoff, this is the game. I think Oregon will take care of business um, in this game. It's just it's become their home away from home. Oregon, over the past decade, has played exceptionally well in the Rose Bowl. Obviously, their fans travel well, but sticking on the West Coast, that just makes it even more accessible for them. Obviously, Wisconsin fans are going to make the trip to sunny Pasadena. I'm sure it definitely beats Madison this time of year. No disrespect to Wisconsin, but if you could take sunny in 73 in Pasadena or negative 13 in Madison, I think I'm willing to guess which one you're going to pick. Um, I like Oregon in this game because I do think they are more dynamic on offense. That's not really a hot take. They can stretch the field. Wisconsin has the ability to, but that's not their game. That's not what they're best at. They're best when they hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor 40 times a game and let him, I mean, just let him run that pill all day long. Oregon will force them to score because Oregon is going to score the ball. They're not going to get shut down. Uh, in in, uh, the Rose Bowl. I can guarantee that. I do like Oregon to win this game. I think think it's just going to be a little bit too much for Wisconsin, a little bit too fast, just too much of everything. Maybe too much sunshine, you could say. Maybe Wisconsin gets sunburned because they're so used to seeing just two weeks of sun uh, in in, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Is it Madison, Wisconsin? Or did did I just make up another completely different city for the Wisconsin bad? I think they play in Madison. I'm almost 90% sure I'm going to look it up right now. But those are your New Year. Oh, wait, we have our national champion. So you have LSU, you have Ohio State. This is the game that the country wants to see. These have been the two best teams all year long. And I said it last year when people were complaining about uh, Alabama Clemson. The goal of the playoff is to get the, two, the four best teams in the nation to play each other and then ultimately the two best teams to play for the national championship. This is exactly what we're going to get. The Buckeyes and the Tigers. I mean, they've They've been battling each other across the country all year long. They've been fighting one and two, leapfrogging each other, it seems like, week after week. And we finally get to see them on the same field actually play each other. You get Heisman winner Joe Burrow, Heisman runner-up Justin Fields. You get the number one seed at LSU against the number two seed who feels that they should be the number one seed, Ohio State. I cannot wait to see this game. And I hope we get it. Again, this isn't set in stone, but I think... It's, we have pretty good chances of seeing these two teams collide. They've been on a collision course all year long. They have to meet up in the title game. If you force me to pick one, it's so I, I want to. Leave. I think logic says Ohio State would win this game because I will admit I've been on LSU all year long. Ohio State has played a better brand of football than LSU. They just have. They play both sides of the ball. They are dominating teams specifically because they can play defense and their offense scores and just widens their their winning margin. They have looked better than LSU. And LSU, while they do give up a lot of points, they, but they end up scoring up, they end up scoring more and that's the way they've won games. They've been able to win 
games. They're just, they're a team full of winners, and they've beaten everybody. Like I said, their resume is, can't, is incomparable. Their resume is the best in the country, and it's not even close, is LSU. So the logic would point to Ohio State winning this game. I'm going to pick LSU to win the national title because they have proven it more than a handful of times. They know how to win games. They're a team full of winners. They're a team that is hungry. People were riding off Coach O and LSU as a team that was just always really talented but never a true title contender. That's what LSU's brand was starting to become. And then Joe Burrow comes to town and he just changes the entire program. And they're a fun team to watch. They're loaded with personalities, including Joe Burrow, including Coach O. I think LSU will find a way to beat Ohio State in the national championship game. I think it'll be extremely close. I think this game is is destined to be a classic. I think this is going to be one of the all-time games, one of the where-were-you-when type moments. This game, we have to get it. And if we get LSU-Clemson, that will be a great game, but I think it would... it's kind of like having the playoff games before the other games. Like It's still going to be good, but it kind of sours it just a little. Like This isn't exactly what we wanted. I hope we get Ohio State LSU, and I hope we get a classic, and I think we will get both. And so, speaking of where were you moments, the time has finally come for the crowd noise top 10 moments in sports. Over the last decade. And it was kind of hard to compile this list. Not because there were so many great moments. But again because I was trying to do this in less than 5 minutes. And it was hard for me to recall all the greatest sports moments over the past 10 years. In 10 minutes. And I think I did a pretty solid job. You can butcher it. You can kill it if you want to. I'm not going to hate you for it. Because again this list may be terrible. You may agree with it. You might hate it. I don't care. You're, you're free speeches will allow you to say whatever you're going to say but again in my defense i'm defending myself for being lazy essentially like this should be much better it's only my fault that it's going to be as bad as it is but i will defend my laziness because you know i was having fun it was christmas um so here we go top 10 moments over the 2010s i was so close to just making it the top five moments like you have no idea how close this list was just was You have no idea how close this list was to being a top five and potentially a top three because that's how how difficult it was for me to recall 10 years of sports in just 10 minutes. Uh, And somehow I did it. We have 10. We have 10 moments, plays, games. You know, there's no really criteria. As long as it had something to do with sports. It could be famous. It could be infamous. If it was important and it it resonated with the culture and if we still talk about it today that's what makes it uh, basically if it was in sports in between the year 2010 and 2019 it's eligible that's essentially the criteria for making this list and also if i were able to remember it that's the criteria for making this list if i were if i could remember it and if it happened within the past 10 years it's it's fair game so here we go number 10 and this is the only one where i feel like Probably not the top 10, but again, I had to get 10 things, but it, it makes our top 10 because this is the one I could remember. Chris Jenkins of Villanova beating North Carolina in the national championship game. Look, this shot was iconic because it was a buzzer-beating shot to win the national title game. I cannot remember in my lifetime another shot that won a national title 
while actually beating the buzzer. Like this was, there have been shots to win game. There have been go-ahead shots, obviously. But I don't remember how many buzzer-beating shots there were. Even the Leitner shot, as iconic as that was, that was not for the national title game. That was a Final Four game. This was the national title. And what makes this shot so much more, so much more special in the grand scheme of things, this wasn't even the best shot of that game. Marcus Page and just the previous possession made one of the most ridiculous circus shots I think we're ever going to see and no one will ever remember it except for the Crowd Noise podcast because it was not the game winner. Marcus Page double clutches and just flails a three after getting double teamed and it goes in on the previous possession. That's what forced Villanova to call a timeout and inbound the ball in the first place. Uh, they bring the ball the length of the court. The length of the court. They dump it down to Chris Jenkins. He hits a three. The season is over. I mean, what a shot that was. What a, what a moment. Villanova, the dynasty, begun right there for Jay Wright. So number that is number 10. On to number 9. This is one play uh, out of what became a very, um, I don't know about iconic, but a very fun Super Bowl. And this is why it's as low as it is, because the game isn't one of the more iconic Super Bowls, in my opinion. I think this is the most iconic play of in recent Super Bowl memory because I mean if you talk about most iconic Super Bowl plays of all time this I don't even know if this makes the top 10 but this would definitely be an honorable mention the Philly special that's the one thing we remember from that game other than just the Eagles winning me personally I don't remember that game I don't remember a lot from that game I remember the Philly special because again we tend to remember things in sports that have great names we tend that's really how we and you're going to see the rest of this list are a lot of plays that are they just have a catchy name the minnesota miracle that did not make the top 10 but we do have the the miracle in miami that was not an iconic play but we remember that play think about the miracle in miami the dolphins were terrible and that game was in the second half of the regular season against the patriots that game meant nothing and we remember that play because it has a name and that was a regular season game. So the Philly special, I think, does deserve to be in the top 10 moments of the past 10 decade. But I will put it at number nine because the game itself was not, I don't know if that's the most iconic Super Bowl game of the past 10 years. If you want to talk the most iconic game, it would probably be the 28-3 to game. Like that game as a whole would probably be maybe the best Super Bowl. But we're talking about one play. The Philly special because it has a name and we all remember exactly where we were and what we were thinking as we saw that play and what we were thinking after we saw that play. It was, I mean, we remember these trick plays and these catchy names. Um, That's just how our brains work. So that's number nine. Number eight, and this is not, this play has no name because it was not a play, evidently. Number eight, Marshawn Lynch not getting the ball on the goal line. This play both destroyed and created a dynasty. This destroyed what could have been the modern, the the newest dynasty in the league, the Seattle Seahawks, the Legion of Boom, and thus birthed the second wave, the new age of the Patriots dynasty. What would we say about Tom Brady if he had lost this game? Because again, he did lose to the Eagles as well and was being dominated by Atlanta. Of course, these are a, a the string of what ifs now at this point but let's just think if Atlanta hangs on if Marshawn Lynch gets the ball at the goal line how much different would our perception of Tom Brady be if his last three Super Bowls were all losses Seattle uh, Philly and Atlanta 
how would we think of Tom Brady differently? How much differently would we think about him at this point? I think his GOAT status would be in serious jeopardy. And I don't think he would be in that conversation at that point. To have a losing streak in the Super Bowl, um, and because Marshawn does not get that, get the ball and get the opportunity, maybe they stop him. Maybe they stuff Marshawn Lynch, and then we never had this conversation. But at that point, at least we would know. We'll never know now how that Super Bowl should have ended truly because Marshawn Lynch doesn't get the football at the one-yard line. And that's a play I think is going to have... It, we're, we're going to be talking about that play until we're... I mean, long after we're all gone. That's going to be a decision that's going to be ridiculed for a very, very long time. I have that at number eight. I have it over the Philly special because it... it, it, it it had serious repercussions for two dynasties. It's just it destroyed the Seahawks. It destroyed that entire locker room. And it saved Tom Brady's reputation and he is now what he is today because of that game. So I have the uh, Marshawn at number 8, number 7 uh in college football. This entire game, I don't even know if this is better than that game, but just the I mean let me get to it again. I, again, I came up with this thing at 10 minutes. I don't know how widely they're ordered. I'm probably going to hate my own list by the time this thing is done, but this is this is what you get when you put only 10 minutes worth of effort into your podcast. Number seven, Deshaun Watson beats Alabama in the national title game. That game was spectacular. Potentially the best game that we have seen since the 2005 Rose Bowl, USC and Texas. That That game... Clemson and Alabama. That was the closest thing to that. Like, that was the game that this next generation got. Like, the previous generation got the Rose Bowl. This generation got Alabama-Clemson. That one. And, of course, they've had many other games after that. But there were, you know, there was the hellacious beatdown last year, Clemson. This game was back and forth. And it literally came down to a walk-off touchdown from Deshaun Watson to Hunter Renfro in the corner. Was it a pick play? Was it offensive pass interference? Nobody cares because it's a national championship game. And again, I think it's better if the refs just take their hands off and get stay, stay out of the way rather than try to get involved and try to stick by the letter of the law because this is what we get. We get a classic like that. And Deshaun Watson, the, the legend was born right there. And even still, what's ironic about this game, that didn't even solidify Deshaun Watson. That game did not cement him. And that was evidenced in his NFL draft when he was taken behind Mitchell Trubisky. Like, if there was any game you had to point to and say, you know, this is proof. Deshaun Watson can play. That was the game. And that was coming off of him torching Alabama the year before, a game that they lost. But Deshaun Watson, I mean, they had no answer for him. Did the Crimson Tide. Comes back the next year and wins the national title. Torched Alabama twice. Wins a, wins a title um, and it still didn't give him the opportunity to be the first quarterback taken in his respective draft. So I think that game, it doesn't have the same weight maybe as the others because Deshaun Watson wasn't drafted as high as he should have. But if you look at that game, if you isolate that game and just watch it by yourself and have no you know, knowledge of what happened after that, that game was, it was insane. It was maybe the best national, it is the best national championship game of this decade in college football. That is for sure. After that, at number six, and here's, here's what things I think, I, I think 
we get a little bit more accurate. Like this, this starts to get a little bit better. The the second half of this list. Number six, Kobe scores sixty. Now it was just one game. It really it meant nothing, right? Lakers were out of the playoffs. The Jazz at that time were had been eliminated just that morning. Like they woke up feeling like they needed to win because they could get in, and they were eliminated because it was a night game. They were eliminated by the games in the afternoon. So that game meant nothing. But if you look at, there was no more accurate depiction of an athlete, I don't think ever, than that game. It's not even so much that it was Kobe's last game. And that's part of it. That is, the, that what, is what makes it special, is that that's the last time we ever got to see him play. And this is what he did. But it just embodied everything that Kobe Bryant was scored 60 points and he did it like on 63 shots and they won the game so nobody cares like that's exactly what Kobe Bryant had came to be in his career like the mama mentality the killer mentality shoot it 70 times if you score 50 and win who cares you win the game and that's why we all love Kobe Bryant because he I mean he will do these type of things he will do anything it takes to win even if it's at I mean borderline reckless he could have stopped at 40 could have stopped at 50 and he went all the way for 60 because he had to and they needed him to win that game there was no more perfect embodiment of a player I don't think we've ever seen than this game and that was in this decade and it comes in at number six because the game was meaningless but it defined what Kobe Bryant was not that he needed that game to define him but it reminded us this is exactly why he is so special because he was he was lousy. I hate to say it, but he was lousy those last three or four years in LA. He was terrible. And that game showed it, reminded it. It gave us one last final taste of true Kobe Bryant. Like exactly what kind of a player he was and the type of person he was on the basketball court. So I have the Kobe Bryant scoring 60 uh, at number six. And think about this. That was the same night that the Warriors clinched the 73-9 and record. And no one remembers that, partially because they did lose the finals that year. But Kobe scoring 60 is way more memorable than the Warriors in 73-9. Would that be different had they won the title? I'm not sure. It would, be a, it would be more meaningful, definitely. It definitely would have been more meaningful. But if, there was, if you could go back in time and watch one game, like if you could relive that, that night, everyone is choosing to watch Kobe score 60, except if you're a Warriors fan. And even at that point, maybe you... I think Warriors fans were flipping back and forth. I don't think Lakers fans were flipping away from that Kobe Bryant game. Number five, speaking of those guys, just that following summer, Kevin Durant signs with the Golden State Warriors. Now, this is one of those things where I said it's a moment and it's infamous. This isn't like it because everyone hated this move except for me and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Like everyone killed Kevin Durant for this move and hated it. And that's why it is one of the most iconic moments in sports this past decade that defined the NBA for as long as Kevin Durant was in Oakland that that defined the league they kicked LeBron out of Cleveland and sent him into Los Angeles and then Kevin Durant eventually later on after that destroyed the Warriors franchise or dynasty by leaving them now again I am pro player movement so I'm not killing him for leaving the Warriors but let I mean let's be honest if Kevin Durant does not Sign with the Warriors. Yes, they were a good team, and that's why people hated them in the first place, but they did need him to win. They were already a really good team. They had already won a title, 
but they would not have been a dynasty without Kevin Durant. I truly believe that it changed the entire landscape of the NBA. It really did. And maybe the Warriors, I, I think they only win one or two without him. Total. Like, to, maybe they win another one with him, and then that's it. This just guaranteed, it's solidified. Like, the Warriors are winning titles regardless of who you put in front of them. And they did lose to the Raptors, but again, they were, they were devastated by injuries. If Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, they're all healthy, that's a five-game series. But Kevin Durant going to the Warriors, that defined the NBA for his entire tenure there. It just flat out, it did. That was all we could talk about was the Warriors. Who can beat them? Is it even possible to beat them in a playoff series? And then Kevin Durant, you know, the villain, the character, the mystique around him, that kind of molded him into what, how we perceive him today. And again, I love Kevin Durant. You guys all know that. But for the vast majority of the country, I'd say like 98%, they cannot stand him. And this is why. That moment, that, that was a serious moment in basketball history, let alone just this decade. Uh, number four. Things start to get really interesting right here. Ray Allen's three, Miami, San Antonio. Uh, we were start this another career defining moment, and it wasn't even for Ray Allen; it was for LeBron. And he already has the losing record, three and six in the finals. I get it. I'm not going to kill LeBron, but it is a losing record. I mean, numbers are numbers. You can say, well, he didn't have any help for the first one. What it, the record is the record. I'm just stating the facts. He is three and six in the finals. That is bottom line. And that is with this Ray Allen three. And I think that that shot, and that wasn't even for the series. That was just to save the series. Game six in Miami. Uh, Miami fans, some of the worst fans in all the sports is Miami fan. I mean, they're terrible. Walking out on their team in game six of the NBA finals, Ray Allen hits a three, and they have people storming back at the doors like it's Black Friday trying to get their way in. And credit to Miami security saying, no, you're not getting back in here. You quit on us. You made your decision. You're not coming back in. But back to the shot. This is going to be one of the more iconic jump shots in NBA history. I mean, you talk about clutch. Ray Allen has zero room. He's catching it, falling away from himself. He has to backpedal away. He's catching the ball from Chris Bosh off a rebound, just chucking up. A, like, it was essentially a Hail Mary three at that point. I'm sure Ray Allen will tell you, I hit those 10 times out of 10. It wasn't a big deal. You know, Ray Allen's a baller, one of the greatest shooters of all time. That's what he's supposed to say. But, I mean, at that point, LeBron had just missed a three. That's how Chris Bosh got the three. I mean, got the rebound in the first place. It was a desperation three, okay? It just flat out was. It was a desperation three. And it goes in, and it saves that finals and potentially LeBron's um, reputation. Excuse me. That, that, that saves his career. Because, again, now we're, now we're talking about two and seven. And that was when he made his controversial decision to join the Miami Heat. We talked about this last year. I was all on all. I love player movement. I'm not against that. I'm not killing LeBron for going to the Heat. But how would we feel about LeBron? Talking about Tom Brady earlier. How would we feel about LeBron if, all, if he only got one title in Miami against the Thunder who were just, I mean, they were just babies, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. James Harden wasn't even a thought in any of our minds at that point. How would LeBron's reputation be different if Ray Allen doesn't hit this shot right here? Number three, the Cubs win the World Series. Now, I know baseball isn't the most popular sport in the country. Just look at the ratings. It's not. But... If you were to pick one World Series, it has to be this one. The Cubs going over 100 years without winning a World Series. We're all aware 
of the curse. They finally break it. And it's not even that they broke it. It's in the fashion that they did it. They were down 3-1 in this series. If there's any more pressure in the world than being down 3-1, it's being down 3-1 when your franchise hasn't won in a hundred years. And they did it. They're able to come back. And that series, honestly, that series was lousy. And I think that's why that series isn't talked about more. It was a lousy series. That game seven was iconic. It had everything. It had extra innings. It had a rain delay. MTV's Dan Cortez. It, that was one of the best games I think ever played in baseball. Specific, definitely in, in the modern era. That game was, was nuts. And it had the narrative of the Cubs not having a World Series in over 100 years, coming back from down 3-1 in the series, and they're able to get it done. I mean, that has, that has to be the defining moment in baseball over the 2010s. The Cubs won the World Series. I'm thinking about it now. People don't talk about this series enough. And you can make an argument it's too low on the list. Like That's how impactful that win was for the Cubs. Number two, just one play. And again, this goes back to our nicknames. You already know what I'm going to say. The kick six. The kick six was, I mean, maybe the best play in sports over the past decade. Like if you were to take one play in it, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, whatever, it'd be the kick six. It's the most iconic. And again, it does have the name. They coined the term. The name of this play is also like a name of a sports move now. The kick six. If you were to ask someone what is a kick six before that game, Nine out of ten people probably wouldn't have an answer for you because they never had. It's happened before, but never at that scale. Never with that many eyes watching it. Alabama number one in the nation. Auburn, Iron Bowl. I mean, there's just that. Like the, you could just say Iron Bowl, and that's it. We could stop the conversation right there. That's, I mean, pressure enough. You're talking about needing to win this game just to get into the national title. And again, this was still the BCS era. It was the last year of the BCS. They needed to get into the top two. Did. Auburn, they had already beaten Georgia off a miracle Hail, Hail Mary. So they had a precedent for the dramatic already. Uh, Nick Saban asked for a second back. He calls a timeout. I can only imagine what goes through his mind when he watches that play now because they do call a timeout. They put a second back onto the clock. They kick the field goal. It's like 15 yards short, and they run it 109 yards back. I mean, that play is the most iconic play. One individual... 10, 15 second move. In all sports of the past 10 years, that is number one. And yet it comes in at number two in our list. And so I know you're probably arguing, well, if it's the most iconic play, how is it not number one? Because it wasn't the most iconic moment. Number one, I have uh, right here. I have the Cavs coming back from 3-1 and beating the Golden State Warriors, because again, this was kind of the culmination of everything that we've been talking about. LeBron's reputation, his career on the line. Coming back down from 3-1, something that had never happened in NBA history before and maybe ever after. We will see. I don't know if anyone will ever come back from a 3-1 lead again, especially against the Warriors. Now, this was uh, pre-Kevin Durant Warriors. This was the same exact year as the Kobe scoring 60. So it was the same 73-9 team. And so you're talking about one of the all-time teams broke the record for for best record in the NBA ever. And they're up 3-1. The series is over. It's done. And LeBron James puts on one of the, not one of, he puts on the best individual performance. He and Kyrie Irving, some of the best postseason performances you will ever see. 
and that game seven, if you watch that game seven, you can, that's another game you can watch just on replay and just still be in shock and be stunned by what you're watching. Maybe they go two and a half minutes, both teams, without scoring. No one scores a basketball for the last two minutes. Then you have the Andre Iguodala, the most iconic play. You have another iconic play. Every play on here is the most iconic play. I'm, I'm losing my mind. I'm, I'm geeking out over all these plays, talking about them one after the other. You have the block by James. I mean, that is probably what people remember most from that series. But after that, if LeBron doesn't get to that ball, and again, that's what we remember most from that series. It's all blocked by James and Mike, Mike Breen. I mean, that, 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 was, that was fantastic. But the very next possession, Kyrie comes down and hits a three dagger ball game series season. Game is over. So even if LeBron doesn't get that block, Kyrie Irving still comes down and hits a three and that negates the two. But LeBron does get the three. He does get the chase down. That's the play that's going to be played at LeBron James's Hall of Fame enshrinement. Like that's going to be the last thing you see. That's going to be the one play you remember from LeBron when his when he hangs it up, when he has his final, his last hurrah. That's the one thing you're going to remember about LeBron. And at the end of the uh, the interview at the very end of the series, believe Land, this is for you, fulfilling his promise, kind of solidifying his reputation. Because again. Still has that losing record of the finals now, but this win, it can never be taken away. That win can never be taken away from LeBron ever. And so that's why I think this is the most iconic moment of the past, 20, the past decade. Because the kick six was one play. It was just one play. This was an entire series, kind of like the Cubs and the Indians. That was, I mean, again, but lebron basketball is more at the forefront in pop culture than baseball is right now like that's just a fact so i put the Cavs coming back down 3-1 lebron james block the entire just the cavaliers winning that finals and i know it's kind of a cop-out because it's not one game it's not one moment it's entire it's a culmination but that is the most iconic moment of the 2010s in my opinion if you ask the crowd noise podcast they're you have it. Your top 10. We'll go through it really quick once again. Chris Jenkins beating Carolina at the buzzer. Number nine, the Philly special. Number eight, Marshawn Lynch not getting the football at the goal line. Number seven, Deshaun Watson beating Alabama in the national title game. Number six, Kobe scoring 60, his farewell game. Uh, Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors at number five. Ray Allen hitting a three against San Antonio, number four. Number three, the Cubs winning the World Series. Number two, the kick six. And number one, again, the King beating Golden State. That is going to take us to the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, no matter how much effort or lack thereof was put into today. I had fun getting into that top 10. Yes, I did it in a hurry, but it was a fun challenge to try and not only pick 10 moments, but to have to order them. One is better than the other. This one is better than all the others. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the games this Saturday because I know I will. That playoff uh, games, both of them are going to be nuts. I cannot wait for the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all in Pasadena, California. That's going to be tons of fun. I will talk to you guys next week.